following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. May I ask you a very personal question? Be honest. Get right down to the bottom line with me. Do you own your life? Does your life belong to you? Do you have the freedom to go where you want to go, to buy what you want to buy, to get up or go to bed when you choose? Do you own your life? Now, it's possible for you to call yourself a Christian, and all you have in reality done is add to your already wonderful life the gospel of Jesus that according to many says, look, here are the wonderful benefits of just accepting Jesus. And if you'll accept Jesus, you are saved. Of course, they never tell you what you're saved from. Oh, they may say you're saved from the fires of hell, but that's a long way off in our minds, so that's not a real big deal. What are we saved from? And if I say to you, the scriptures teach that you are saved from owning yourself. Now, Pastor Ray, you're becoming offensive. Or if I say to you, the scriptures teach us that a person who is saved has been saved from his sins and he no longer sins against God. Oh, no, Pastor, come, come. We all sin all the time. We're all sinners. We just have to do our best. Oh, really? That's called legalism 101. That's not the gospel of Jesus at all. So please, between you and God, because you can't answer me. All I can do is talk to you. I wish you could talk to me. Do you own your life? Do you make the decisions about how you will use your time and money and energy? Do you decide what you will buy and what you won't buy? Do you own your life? Or are you owned by another? I want to share part of a story with you. Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was completely transformed before the eyes of Peter and James and John. Moses and Elijah came down and spoke with Jesus. Jesus refers to this as a vision. I'm not sure what that means. Did it not happen in time and space and history? I think it did. But they're returning from there, and they come down off that mountain, and we're not sure what mountain that was. It was one of two mountains. It was either Mount Hermon or it was Mount Tabor. But we're not really sure. The scriptures don't tell us which mountain it was. But whichever mountain it was, they came down off the mountain, and the other disciples were there. And you remember the story of the father, the son, was demon-possessed. The scriptures also say it was uh, like an epileptic fit that he would have. 
and the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Jesus was very unhappy with his disciples, and he said some of the harshest things he said anywhere during his stay. He said, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring him to me. Just a side question, please. Is Jesus putting up with you? If you own yourself, and you have not but by prayer and fasting come into a very intimate relationship with Jesus where you no longer own yourself, then you may be sure that Jesus is simply putting up with you. I can't think of anything worse than to have the one I love just put up with me. I don't want Jesus to put up with me. I want him to change me. So the cry of my heart is, Oh, Lord, change me. I'll show you that in a moment in the scriptures. Please, could I say something that you may not understand right now, but by prayer and by grace, you're going to understand it if you keep listening to this broadcast. The work of changing a person's heart is a supernatural work of grace. It is not a process of struggling to improve my life or to gain the victory over my sin. It is a supernatural work of grace that God does, that God performs on my life. And of course, he does it when it's no longer my life, when it's his life. So Jesus comes down off the mountain. He is upset with his disciples. He has just seen Moses and Elijah, these incredible great men of faith who have laid it all on the line for him and he has loved them so much he could not stand and not have them with him in the heavenlies he gave elijah a chariot ride home he sent his chauffeur and his limo to give Elijah a ride home. And then he sent his angels and he said, go resurrect Moses. I can't stand another hour without him. The Lord was not putting up with them. I, I just have to ask you another question, please. I'm so full of questions today. If you died today, Would the Lord have to send his angels to resurrect you because he couldn't stand another hour to be without you at his side? Now, it seems clear in Scripture that some people, when they die, are brought immediately into the heavenly realm. It seems clear in Scripture that when some people die, they are simply unconscious, waiting for the final resurrection. Would you call it selfish on my part? If I tell you that 
I don't want to wait for the final resurrection. I want to be one of those that Jesus says, look, I can't deal without having Ray beside me. So go get him. Would Jesus say that about you? I want him to say that about me. That's the cry of my heart. I love Jesus. I accept him. But the real question is, does he accept me? Does he accept you? This is not a sentimental deal. This is a this is a covenant deal. So Jesus comes down off this mountain and they've got a they've got a long walk ahead of them to get back to Capernaum to his home. Jesus is now living in Capernaum. He has left Nazareth. And let me just say something very quickly about Nazareth. Nazareth has grown into a large city. I believe some 80,000 people live there today. Of course, the, the synagogue where Jesus went to read to them from this, the prophet Isaiah, it says he unrolled the scroll. Well, it probably took him about an hour to unroll that scroll. And everybody talked and and waited. They were eager to hear this favorite son, young preacher. They'd heard such strange things about the miracles he was performing, and they wanted to see some miracles. They really weren't there to hear his his message. They wanted to see some action. They wanted entertainment. Jesus finally reaches the place in Isaiah and he begins to read. We'll talk more about this later. They were so enraged by Jesus' sermon that they determined to kill him. Call it a, an honor killing. They didn't want this young man to bring shame on them. So they grabbed him and hauled him physically out of the synagogue and they took him to a brow of a hill. That's a bit of an understatement. It was almost a thousand foot straight down. They dragged him there. Well, I drove just days ago from Nazareth to the brow of that hill. Walking it would have taken about two hours. So for two hours, Jesus is being drugged and pushed and slapped, degraded, where they were going to execute him. There were two ways to execute. They could stone him to death, or they could just throw him off the cliff. And the scriptures say he just walked through them. It was not his time. Now, please, I'm sharing this with you because I want you to understand that the tame, laid-back, 
Christian faith, the tolerant, culturally acceptable Christian faith of today has no likeness of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is radical. You're going to see that today in detail. Just stay with me. I pray that what I share with you today will be shocking to your system. That'll tell me you're waking up a little bit and coming out of the dense, dizzy fog of this world's lies. And then maybe you'll cry out with me, Oh Lord, change me. Well, Jesus, knowing they have a very long walk ahead of them, I'm not even sure they can make it in one day because already they've spent time with the crowd. They've come down off the mountain. If it was Mount Tabor, they could probably make it in a day. If it was Mount Hermon, it's going to take them a very long day. So they're on their way. They're walking back to Capernaum. They're passing through Galilee. And he notices that the disciples are not walking with him as they usually do. They're hanging back. I'm sure that most of the time, Peter was up there walking right in the front, leading the way. And then a few others around Jesus, and then a few stragglers. This time, everybody's hanging back. Jesus has spoken in a very confrontive way to them. So finally, as they're coming into Capernaum, they become very bold, and they come to ask Jesus a question. Now we find... We find this story in a couple of places in the scripture. I'm going to share with you specifically out of the book of Matthew. The question is, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, which of us are going to be the lieutenants Which of us are going to be given the seats of honor in the kingdom that you're establishing? Which of us is the greatest, Jesus? Well, as they're reaching Capernaum, Jesus calls a little child. Come here. He comes to Jesus quickly. And he puts the child in the middle of the disciples. And he says to them in the 18th chapter of Matthew, Truly I say to you, if you may not be changed inwardly and may become as the young children, you may never enter the kingdom of the heavens. So whoever will humble himself is this young child. This one is the greater in the kingdom of heaven. 
And whoever may receive one such young child in my name receives me. Now, literally, this Greek word changed inwardly. It shows that the subject is being acted upon by an outside force to be creatively changed by the power of God. Thus, salvation or righteousness is being transformed, prophetically declared, a new heart, a new spirit, cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. Do you understand? Jesus is saying, look, if you're still the same person you were, before you said you would follow me, you have not yet been changed inwardly. Now let me make a very bold statement. It's clear that the disciples have not yet been changed inwardly. They're following Jesus. You too may be following Jesus in some respects, but you may not have been yet changed inwardly by the power and by the might of God. You still think you're somebody. You still own yourself. You still have plans. You still have dreams. You still have pastors saying to you, look, you can be anything you want to be. Just say it and claim it in the name of Jesus, and you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. You can use Jesus to accomplish your goals. You may be a disciple of Tony Robbins with neuro-linguistic training and a disciple of Jesus. Frankly, the Word of Faith churches that I go and have gone to to see what they're teaching, most of them are simply borrowing the pagan world of Tony Robbins, name it and claim it, say your affirmations, force the spiritual realm to give you what they want, what you want them to give you. All of that is simply paganism. Word of Faith ministries are, for the most part, pagan witchcraft with positive affirmations. And they say, oh, no, no, be very careful. Don't say that with your mouth, because if you say it, you will create the reality, because faith has power. And if you use your faith in speaking something, it will happen. Please, may I tell you what that is? It's hog filth. It's hogwash. Faith has no power. All the power belongs to Jesus. Faith is merely the lifeless hands reaching out and grabbing a hold of the wonderful promises of God in Scripture, thereby allowing us to participate in the divine nature as we utterly give up our own lives, our own goals, our own desires, and we allow the Holy Spirit to come and change us 
We are changed from the outside in by the power of God. Faith is based on a rhema word of God. Faith that is based on my word is witchcraft. For faith to be biblical, it must be based on a rhema word of God. It must be based Second Peter, it must be based on the promises of God. So here these disciples are. They're asking who's the greatest. And they're being told that there has to be an outside force that comes upon their life and changes them and makes them new people. You remember the nickname that Jesus gave James and John? Sons of Thunder. Oh, John had a temper. But in the end, John says, I'm the one Jesus loved. Oh, something happened to John. His temper was gone. And in all the writings of the, of the Gospel of John and in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you don't find even a trace remaining of a bitter heart or of an angry heart. You find a heart of love and compassion, mercy. He'd been changed. people who say you can't stop sinning they're absolutely right you cannot stop sinning under your own power you must be changed by a supernatural work of god and if you tell me i always will sin until the day i die i will tell you you are refusing to allow god to change you you are demanding that your acceptance of jesus be sufficient but it's not. Jesus will not accept you until you allow him to change you. And if you have not yet been changed, I'm not speaking here about incremental changes that you bring about in your own life by self-will and self-discipline. I'm speaking here about the wondrous work of being transformed into a new person, metamorphosed into a new person by the supernatural power of Almighty God. So I hear some people say, look, pastor, I'm doing the best I can do. I am striving against my sin. Are you getting the victory? Well, it seems like I get the victory and then I go right back to my sin. How do I say this politely to you? you are still in an unsaved condition before a holy God because he has not yet come and changed you. 
Is that offensive to you? I'm going to come and speak the unvarnished truth on this broadcast. Please, if you want sweet talk, go listen somewhere else. But the gospel of Jesus is radical. It does not allow for compromise. Then Jesus begins to say some even more radical things. But whoever may cause one of these little ones believing in me to sin, he's not talking about this little child now. He's talking about a person who has been transformed. Their anger has been removed. Their bitterness is gone. He's, he's speaking here about the innocent, sinless follower. He's speaking here about a person who has been changed by the supernatural work of God. He's saying, but whoever may cause one of these believing in me to sin, it's better for him to have a donkey millstone hung around his neck and he may be drowned in the depths of the sea. Oh, God is jealous of those that he has changed. He guards carefully their lives. He says, woe to the world because of the temptations to sin. It's necessary for the temptations to sin to come. But woe to the man by whom the temptation of sin comes. So if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is good for you to enter into the life lame or crippled than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, you must tear it out and cast it from you. It's good for you to enter into life one-eyed rather than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna of the fire. He's speaking very bluntly to those who have not yet been changed by his grace. And he's saying, look, you're tough. You think you want to go through self-improvement. Okay, do it the right way. Just cut your hand off. Now you've got the self-amputation of sin. You don't want the power of God to come and change you? You want to do it yourself? Gouge your eye out. But of course, none of us want to do that. We'd rather make up some false theology that says, oh, everybody's always sinning. So we can remain in that cold, dead, numb state of self-ownership. You must pay attention that you may not look down on one of these little ones that is one of those who have sold themselves out to follow Jesus. For I say to you that their angel in heaven always sees the face of my Father in the heavens. When you have been transformed, you have an angel that constantly tracks you. Now, I don't know if he uses GPS I don't know how he tracks you, but he does. He sees you. And he also sees the face of the Father. 
He's in direct communication with the Almighty God of Heaven. You're very precious when you have been humbled before Almighty God, and you no longer own yourself, but are owned by Him. Matthew 18, verse 11, For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think, if a certain man may have one hundred sheep, and one from among them be led astray? Does he not, after having left the ninety-nine, having gone upon the mountains, seeking the one being led astray? And if he may happen to find it truly, I say to you that he rejoices over it, more than over the ninety-nine not having been led astray. Do you understand the picture that we get in Scripture is of a people who do not leave Jesus, who do not sin. But if you happen to sin, if you happen to get tempted and led astray, Jesus is going to come after you with everything he has. He is going to search after you to try to turn your heart to repentance he does not easily give up the one he loves so it is not the will before your father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish now in the time we have left I'd like to take you back to 1 John. My little children, this is 1 John, the second chapter. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Look, could we, could we just understand that we've been lied to by modern preachers who tell us that God has unconditional love and who tell us that that once you accept Jesus you can never be lost it's not at all about whether I accept Jesus it's whether Jesus accepts me and the only way Jesus will accept me is if I am changed supernaturally into a new person into that little child humble of heart and now john says the same thing jesus said he was his disciple after all he says but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous one he himself is the atonement for our sins and not only for ours but also for those of the whole world in other words this deal is open to the whole world to be changed to have a supernatural changing of your heart into the likeness of jesus christ now this is how we are sure that we have come to know him this is how you know whether or not You've been changed by keeping the commandments of Jesus. Well, how can I keep the commandments? Because in the new covenant, the commandments are written on my heart. And when I am doing my own will, I'm doing the will of Jesus because the commands are written on my heart. 
The one who says, I've come to know him, yet he doesn't keep his commands. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you say you're a Christian, but you still walk in known sin and rebellion against God, you are lying. You are not saved yet. How many times I've tried to approach this on this broadcast, and I'm sorry, my words are not adequate. I don't have the wisdom to know how to say this to you. I need the Holy Spirit to come and speak this word to your heart as a supernatural act of grace that if you are still walking in known rebellion and sin against Jesus, you are lost. You are lying when you say you are a Christian. Christians don't sin. Not habitually. Not continually. You can go to church. You can cry crocodile tears. You can give tithes and offerings. You can say you're a Christian. You can do self-improvement. You can work on your anger by going to an anger management class. You're not saved. Because you've not been changed. You're still proud. You're still arrogant. You're still in charge of your own life. You still own yourself. A Christian no longer owns himself, but he is owned by Jesus Christ. He has been crucified with Christ. He has given up ownership of his life. He walks in the absolute peace and joy of knowing one-on-one the love of Jesus Christ. my my cry to Jesus is oh God change me oh God change me he's already brought such supernatural change into my life I'm not I'm not the man I used to be I'm a different man the anger's gone from my heart I no longer hold any bitterness or lack of forgiveness in my life I no longer go where I want to go I no longer do what I want to do but yet I'm not as close to Jesus as I want to be I frankly won't be close to Jesus like I want to be until I see him face to face and so I'm always going to be saying Jesus make me more like you And I'm also asking for the fullness of Pentecost power. So that when I come on this radio broadcast, my words won't fall to the ground. That only happens by Holy Spirit power. I'll know the Holy Spirit has come when the phone lines jam. Well, good. Would he like to talk? Yes. Good. Put him on. Hi. Hey, how are you, my friend? Good. Is this Nukem? Who is this? Yes, yes, it's me. This is Nukem calling from Israel, the guide. Oh, good. I'm glad to how hear are from you. you. My friend? 
I'm good, and I'm glad you're uh, listening. Yeah, I was listening to your uh, uh, YouTube, and I enjoy listening to you. I mean, and, and uh, the beginning song also was very nice. I like the song. And uh, I enjoyed listening to you something like uh, 45 minutes. That was uh, fun. It was nice to hear you. So how are you, my friend? Well, I came back from Israel, and both of my eyes were swollen shut. I got pink eye somewhere on the journey home. And and I was very sick. So uh, a dear... a dear friend who is a doctor got me a Z-Pack and got me an antibiotic for my eyes, and finally today, I'm feeling normal again. But it wasn't the trip to Israel that it, did it. But I think it's a, it's an allergy. It's, remember, it was dusty here. Yes, it remember was very dusty days. <laughs> yes, it, it was, was very, very dusty. dusty and, and, uh, and the dust uh, hurt the eyes. When I was a soldier, most of my job was a, a patrol, and I was under the uh, tank brigade, and we were driving an open jeep, and we had some special glasses, big ones, but it never helped, and the, sand, and the dust was hitting the eyes, and I remember that, uh, you know, we had infection in the eyes every day, I mean, every week, and we were going with a special tube of the antibiotic that you used, and all the time, all of us was putting one to each other, like helping one each other. That was amazing. That was amazing. Now, I want you to do something. I I want you to do something for me. I want you to tell. Okay, what is it? I want you to tell the thousands who are listening why they should go to Israel. Because uh, this is this is the only land, and this is the only place. This is the only place that Jewish Gentile should visit and uh, support and be here. I mean, this is the only place in the whole world that uh, save us and God is above us and bless God. (laughs) Yes. Now I have to tell you all, this man knows his history and he showed us such amazing things in Israel. Well, I did not know I'm on air. (laughs) You are live on air. And I'm glad... that's cute. And I'm glad you called to, to be on air because I want to bring a lot of these people back to Israel. <clears throat> and I would be very happy to guide you guys. Hmm. It will be my I will will be the most the most happy person at at all earth. Like you know, to have you guys in the Holy Land and to have you around the Holy Land. You guys, uh, those who hear me, I, I don't know if you know what you're missing, guys. You're missing number one place on earth. Now tell and me, did... We have also the lowest point on earth. Did Jesus come... something very special. Was Jesus Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Nebo, or was it Mount Tabor, or was it somewhere else? Mount... No, 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 Mount Tabor. Mount Nebo, that was Moses... Standing over Mount Nebo, looking at Canaan, and unfortunately, the uh, the guy uh, was not allowed to enter. 
And then Joshua led the son of Israel crossing the Jordan River by the area near uh, the area of Jericho. But the transfiguration you talk about is uh, in the Galilee area in a beautiful, gorgeous uh, hill, ending the area of the Jezreel um, Valley. When you stand up in the area of Mount Carmel, looking east towards east, you will see the beautiful valley of Jezreel, and then by the end of the Jezreel Valley, you see a beautiful hill, and this is the Mount of uh, Tabor, and this is a transfiguration place. So how long would it take Jesus... How long would it take Jesus and his disciples to walk from Mount Tabor back to Capernaum? Uh, I would say those days. And, you know, basically they used uh, donkeys and uh, maybe camel. It would be a few days, like it would be a few days because, um, yeah, something like four or five days, I would believe. That's amazing. The overnight, uh, they do few, a few mileage. Like you can do something like uh, four, um, five mile a day, and then you rest. So it's about, uh, say, 25, a little bit, yeah, more or less 25 uh, to 30 miles. Okay. Took a few days, I believe. Okay. Well, did you send me an email yet? Uh, we did, and this is the, uh, and now I hope I'm not on air. Do I, am oh, I you're on air now? Oh, you're still live on air, but I'll read the email and I'll get back to you. I haven't checked emails yet. I haven't had the eyes to look at them, but I will this uh, afternoon. Okay. And, and Malcolm, I'll get right back to you. Okay, because they send you the email. I did not send the email. They send you for the um, for the uh, the two spies, the statue. Remember the two spies, yes. Caleb. Yes. So they send you, and they did not have any replies. So I says maybe something was going wrong with the email. So uh, now when uh, we can uh, have your phone and I can talk to you, so uh, we will wait. 24 or 48 hours more till you reply, say if yes or not, because they, they did send you the email, and they wanted to help you. They okay. gave you a good uh, Okay. Well, I'll get back to you, and thank and, you for listening today. And yeah. listen again. Stay okay, in touch. my friend. All right. Yeah, God bless you. Okay. God bless you, too, my friend. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. What an incredible, wonderful surprise to hear from this man who is such a giant. Uh, I called him a strong as a bull. He knows the, the scriptures. He knows the land of, of Judah, the land of Israel. He's strong, but he is so kind. So... Uh, that was such a gift. I'm glad to hear from him. He makes me smile. Well, there's more I want to share with you, but we're almost out of time. I'm wondering if some of you would like to call quickly. Our phone number here is 877-534-0780. If you'd like to call and respond to the message today, why don't you call right now? And I'll be happy to take your calls. Um, you can join and 
and respond to the land of Israel. And by the way, I'm planning on taking a group back to Israel. And if you would like to be included in that, let me know. You'll never be the same. Suddenly, the vistas of God's people are just opened in a new way and the the story of Jesus is quickened and comes to life. You'll never read the scriptures again in the same dry way. They explode off the page. If you'd like to call, call quickly, 877-534-0780. Mr. Producer, how much time do we have left today? We have five minutes. We have time for one quick call at 877-534-0780. Yes, we heard that. Five minutes. I'd like to invite you to go to our webpage. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. I have with me in studio today Alex, welcome Alex. She's waving to you all. Uh, She is the one who does all of the writing for our podcasts, Uh, the descriptions. She works with Brother Ed on internet, so we're very grateful for what she does. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I also invite you to come and visit the National Prayer Chapel. If you treasure the straight, honest Word of God, then come. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you the address. It's 14851. Gideon Drive 14851 Gideon Drive Woodbridge, Virginia 22192 Now we will meet this evening for a very intense time of sharing and Bible study Come to the upstairs door the main entrance to the office of the All Saints Anglican Church and we'll be in there Uh, conference room you're welcome to come we will meet there and begin praying 6.30 to 7.30 one hour of intense prayer if you'd like to come you're welcome at 7.30 many people can't come until 7.30 because of their work schedules but at 7.30 we will begin together reading the scriptures and talking together about our experience. It's an old-fashioned John Wesley class meeting. Don't be surprised if I ask you if you have any known sin today. And if so, what have you done about it? And what do you want to do about it? Then we meet on Sunday at 12 noon. We pray from 12 to 12.30, And at 12.30, we begin what we call praise and worship. It's not a band. It's the opening of the mic and inviting you to share your testimony or read a scripture 
or to lead us in a a beautiful piece of music. So you're welcome to come. That's Sunday. Drive around to the back side of the church and at ground level, double glass doors, there's a large sign that says lower lobby. Come in through those double glass doors and the prayer chapel worship center is immediately on your left-hand side. I also invite you to, to give, to contribute. We don't sell things. We take an offering. If you'd like to support the work of God in this broadcast, please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now let's pray together. Lord, in the last minutes of this broadcast, I lift before you this precious man who was our guide in Israel, and I ask today a blessing upon his life. And I ask that you, in your mighty power, open the windows of heaven for him that he could see you, Jesus. And I pray for every other person who's been listening that you would turn their hearts and allow that supernatural work of God to be done in their hearts and in their lives, that they would become true sheep under your shepherd's rod, Jesus. Lord, have your way today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.